Welcome to the next episode of Strategize to Succeed. Selectively applying the strategies which we discuss each week will help you as you progress from conditions to opportunities to successes. Today's episode approaches one of those subjects which resurfaces periodically, that is, decision-making. The reason it seems to be discussed repeatedly, including on this podcast, is because it is fundamental to almost everything we do or say each and every day. Effective decision-making is a skill. And as I had previously mentioned to you, we each make decisions approximately 35,000 times daily. And yes, that is the correct number of zeros. These include big life-changing decisions and small inconsequential decisions. The daily continuum of decision-making can range from the critical to the off-handed. Now, if you have followed your mentor's podcasts, you may recall that I am an advocate of making lists of pluses and minuses when at that fork in the road of making a decision. Well, today we are looking at further refinements to that basic process. The impetus for this examination came when I coincidentally read two articles on decision-making just this week. The first article, Deciding How to Decide, by Hugh Courtney, Dan Lavallo, and Carmina Clark, was published in the Harvard Business Review exactly eight years ago, November 2013. The second article, How to Embrace the Rule of Reversible Outcomes to Stop Overthinking and Make Smarter Decisions, by Jeff Hayden, appeared in Inc. this past week. November 5, 2021. The two articles represent what may be considered to be the two extremes of decision-making philosophy. The article appearing in HBR intentionally focuses on decision-making within a multi-layered corporate setting. The approach down the path to making a formal decision is rigorous formalized and complex. The premise which is central to arriving at a decision is the elimination of risk. The premise which is central to arriving at a decision is the elimination of risk from the calculation. It is only by eliminating or at the very least mitigating against the intrusion of a risk component that a decision can be considered as successfully surviving a gauntlet of testing. Within a corporate context, a risk element can be any combination of circumstances which are foreign to one's business history. Newness of any kind, whether industry, product, or process, is fraught with challenges to evaluate and tests to perform in an effort to limit any deleterious effects of risk.
To make effective decisions in this arena, Courtney, Lavallo, and Clark advocate what they term, quote, expanding their toolkit of decision support tools and understanding which tools work best for which decisions, close quote. The authors note the breadth of options available when trying to make a complex decision, and they advocate a three-pronged test for deciding which tool metrics to apply. First, how well do you understand the variables that will determine success? Then, moving on to the second standard, how well you can predict the range of possible outcomes. And finally, to ascertain how centralized the relevant information is. The evaluation of tools then continues to be analyzed and refined. A frequently used, but ultimately ineffective tool is the causal model in this instance, the objective is to be able to formulate if-then statements descriptive of the decision. However, according to the authors, when developing most strategic decisions, the executives in charge are, in fact, unable to formulate a clear causal model. As stated, in many cases, the responsible parties are unable to, quote, frame the decision, close quote, and later on note that typically executives underestimate the degree of uncertainty they face. Although the authors continue on to offer two possible techniques for information gathering and analysis by using incentivized estimates and similarity-based forecasting. Ultimately, the empirically slanted decision-making techniques are hindered by the frailties of human nature. As summarized in the HBR article, quote, in essence, executives don't know what they don't know, but they're generally happy to assume that they do, close quote. This line of discussion continues with comments on cognitive bias, political and behavioral pitfalls, and even the impediment of wishful thinking. After a significant exposition of the numerous failings of decision-making approaches, the crux of this article comes down to one line, and I quote, quote, Finally, and perhaps most important, make it a habit at your company to consciously decide how and when you are going to make any decision, close quote. Perhaps I can restate this conclusion in a somewhat more helpful manner. Recognize that decision-making is an integral part of your daily life and of your business life. Don't shy away from the process. Understand that not all decisions require the same level of detailed analysis, but have a plan in place for when such analysis is needed. And be prepared to select and apply 
different decision-making techniques as appropriate. Now, the next article, which I would like to make you aware of, is probably more adaptable to everyday decision-making. Jeff Hayden, the author of the Inc. article, starts with the premise that individuals are not likely to devote significant time when they make major decisions. And in this endeavor, people are likely to be overconfident in what they believe that they know. The path to decision-making seems to be divided, according to psychologists, into type one and type two forms of reasoning. Type one is the universal automated thought process which applies individual experience to contextual situations to make snap reflex decisions. Type two reasoning is less instant and more deliberative. Methodical thinking is at the center of all decision-making. And then we have the decision-making parameters outlined by Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Bezos apparently divides decisions into one-way and two-way doors. Two-way door decisions are reversible. They are not lifetime commitments and they do not require substantial deliberation. Bezos assesses that the necessary quantity of information needed for such decision-making is approximately 70%. In contrast, the one-way door decisions are significant and likely irreversible. They are weighty and, as such, require a commensurate amount of information gathering and deliberation. With this framework in mind, you have a basis for when to make an automatic decision, a deliberate decision, and an analytical decision, all without the impediment of overthinking the situation. The fundamental question to be resolved at the outset is what are the consequences of the decision to be made? Once you know the stakes, then you can best make the value judgment of how much and what type of information gathering is warranted to make an appropriate decision. Bezos sliding scale offers a balance to prevent one from languishing on either end of the decision-making spectrum, from spare of the moment to paralyzed by uncertainty. It may offer a practical midpoint and can be integrated easily with a list of pluses and minuses, particularly when faced with a more serious decision. So, when you find that you need to make a decision about anything more than the most rudimentary question, you really have two decisions to make. The first item to be decided is the methodology which you are going to use to facilitate your decision-making process. The second area of decision-making relates to the actual issue in question. There are many approaches to the art and science of decision-making. It is appropriate to review your choices periodically so that you are well-armed to make the best decisions that you can. Thank you for sharing your time today. Remember, your application 
of strategic decision-making approaches can result in more beneficial outcomes for you, both professionally and personally. Why not turn that process into your opportunity?